This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome back for another OG Show Live. Mr. Randall, how you doing? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Real Down... Welcome back to another episode of Bass Fishing for News. Hi, boys and girls. Welcome to once again the Bass Guy Gapiers. Oh, brother, this is the final cast. Another segment of uh, Chasing the Tide, your saltwater connection on the Palatine. Welcome back, everyone. Another episode of Feather and Fur, your host. Welcome back to the Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Hey, welcome back to Off the Water. Happy here with Adventures of Outdoor Woman Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the Rusty Hook Kayak Fishing Podcast. We're brought to you by Pelican Built Tough. For all situations, go to pelican.com. Eastport Marina on the beautiful shores of Dale Hollow Lake. For all your lodging, kayaking, go to eastport.info. Yak Gadget. For all your fine kayak fishing accessory needs, go to yakgadget.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Your host, Brad Hurlbus. And today we have on Sean from The Swamp Stick, which is this great little, not even little, like it's just this great motion decoy stick. So we'll bring him right on in. Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited for the show. I ran into your product randomly at the Wisconsin Waterfall Expo and I saw it and I'm like, there's been a lot of people walking out of that booth with and buying something like that's got to be something pretty cool. So I'm like, I probably should run over there before the show closes. And I was right. They were right. It, it's a cool little thing. And we'll get into that for sure. Yeah. But I like to start my shows off with kind of like hearing about how you got into hunting. Was it, did you grow up in a hunting family? Did you take it up by yourself and as an adult or as, as a youth? Yeah. So uh, I grew up hunting. My dad was way into hunting and particularly waterfowl hunting. So that's something that became pretty passionate of mine growing on. My dad always jokes, and I don't remember this for sure, but his story was um, when I was younger, I have an older sister and a younger sister. So he took my older sister and I out hunting, 
right? My older sister lasted maybe an hour, wanted to go home and I stayed the rest of the day. So he's like, he knew right away from that point, he had somebody that'd be his hunting buddy from that point on. So beyond there, I mean, I was going with him whenever I could, even before I was allowed to hunt. Um, we grew up in Pennsylvania. Okay. And so it's not really known as a duck hunting Mecca, especially Western Pennsylvania. Um, but we would always go out. My dad was really passionate about it. And then, you know, growing up, started getting to that more, you know, pheasant hunting, deer hunting kind of built off of those points. So, yeah, so it was definitely something starting from a young age and going forward. Um, my dad got into it on his own. Uh, but as he got older, my grandfather started hunting with us as well. So then it kind of became a full family thing. Well, that's awesome. I'm sure along the way, you guys have to have some pretty unique traditions. Like you've got to have something for opening day or something like that. The one that sticks out to me the most is uh, the day after Thanksgiving. My dad and I would always wake up on Black Friday and go duck hunting. And so typically we were home in Pittsburgh and where we like to go duck hunting is up near Erie, Pennsylvania, which is like almost two hours away. Okay. So we'd be up at two in the morning, hopping in the truck and hauling butt to go duck hunting. And uh, it'd just be kind of entertaining because we'd see everyone out Black Friday shopping. We passed like a big strip mall that had, uh, it was like an outlet store. Sure. And there would be a line all the way off the highway for like a mile up to it. And we'd just be blazing past them because we were on our way to go duck hunting instead. So it was just always the joke. We were like, everyone else is going out Black Friday shopping. We're up early to go duck hunting. So that's funny because we do, I Black Friday's always been a tradition for me, like for duck hunting or for some sort of hunting because I don't get into the whole shopping thing. Right. And that like the weather can vary so much in Wisconsin on Black Friday. Um, I, I remember specifically, I went out with a couple buddies. We went into um, Horicon Marsh, I'll name it. It's like, it's the largest freshwater marsh in the country. So not worried about name dropping that marsh ever. If you don't know about it, you're probably not a waterfowl hunter, let's be honest. Um, but we woke up Black Friday and it was single digits, if not negative digits. We got out there and we were breaking ice on the way out there. We got set up. We saw only one other boat, which is crazy to think about. We saw a couple flocks of high flying ducks and finally we're like, that other boat had left hours ago. I'm like, we're out here alone. Like it's cold. Like it, it at best was 10 degrees out by that point. I'm like, let's go. So my buddy Chad's up front with one of the oars from the boat, pounding the decoys out of the ice because everything locked <laughs> up on us. We're trying to head back. And at the time I had a 1448 with a pretty hopped up 25 horse long tail, like exhaust heads, cans, like, it made a lot of power for what it was and I couldn't get the boat on plane. I couldn't get the boat on plane. And like, I've never had a, I never had a problem with that motor plane and out that boat. I'm like, what is going on? And we're coming down the river and I hit the curve. Right. And I finally got up on plane. I'm like, all right, good deal. And the motor was running good. I'm like, what's going on here? Well, finally we get the boat back to the ramp and you can see there's like a half inch of ice all the way around the outside of the boat at the waterline. <laughs> We're back to the ramp and we're sitting there and we're like, this is probably one of the dumbest things we've ever done. Cause this was, I don't know, early two thousands cell phones weren't reliable. I know for a fact, we didn't have cell phone service out there. If, if we did, it was like very hit and miss. I'm like, if that motor wouldn't have started, like, I don't know what we would have done. Yeah. So that's like my favorite black Friday, like duck hunting story. Cause it really shows how much of an idiot I can be at times. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, man. I definitely hear you on those ones. Well, I think we all do dumb stuff like that. We all kind of push ourselves a little bit throughout the years and do some crazy stuff. So, so yeah, 
I think we've all got stories where we're scared of them. I think we've always got stories where we've fallen in. I think that's always a big one you run into the duck hunters. That was one of the motivations with Swamp Stick is uh, I use it as a walking stick a lot. And a lot of people don't think about that because after you face plant a couple times in a swamp, you typically don't want to do that anymore. And it's not the going in that's the bad part. It's when you stand up and all the water dumps down your waders. Yeah. And then you're still like, well, do I go home or do I hunt? And everyone always goes, you hunt. <laughs> you just deal with it. And you keep moving. Yeah, so. that's, that's kind of how it is, too. I mean, you just keep working like you're cold, you're wet. It, it kind of is what it is at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, so yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's always good stuff with those types of things. But, yeah, that was kind of one of the one of the motivations with it is a walking stick, right? Sure. Um, but, yeah. And then uh, I now live in Michigan. That's where we're based out of. So I grew up in Pennsylvania, moved to Michigan. Um, and then it's kind of funny because like people that are way into like hunting or waterfowling or those, and fishing, stuff like that, we always seem to gravitate towards each other, right? So I initially started the company with my buddy, Jacob. And okay. so Jacob and I both worked together and we started working together. Uh, we work for General Motors and we ended up working together and not knowing each other when we started there. And one of my technical leads was like, oh, you like to duck hunt. You should go talk to this guy, Jacob. He loves to duck hunt too. <laughs> it's like, all right. So he and I started talking. It's like, well, we both just moved up here from out of state. He was from Tennessee. And, uh, and okay. we're like, well, let's go duck hunting. We start right. duck hunting together that season. And it just starts turning into a passion from that point on, right? He and I just are out all the time. It makes it, it's funny because it's like you almost egg each other on to keep going more. Right. When you find somebody that's passionate about something similar that you are, you kind of keep growing and trying harder and wanting to get more involved with that type of stuff. And it becomes a passion. And that other person feels that same passion for you. Agreed. And you kind of and and it's easier when you've got someone that like wants to do it, like that yeah. wants to put the time in that wants to hunt with you. I mean, duck hunting is a lot of work. At least I think it is. I mean, like yeah. constantly like setting up decoys, tearing down decoys, the scouting, everything that goes into it. If you want to be a successful water hunter, there it just there's quite a bit of work that goes into it. And to have someone that's like your ride or die guy that's gonna go with you and he's gonna be up at early in the morning and not bail on you, like it's hard to find, like especially later in the season, because it gets to be a drag at times, especially if you're not into birds. Like you might be into birds, but it's like it's an okay amount of birds. It's not like this spectacular, like you're really into them. It's going to be amazing. You're calling all your buddies. Like, this is going to be great. It's those hunts where you're at enough birds where it's like, all right, I'm going to hunt still. Yeah. But it's going to be a lot of work for what we're going to see. Yep. Yeah. Both... yeah we're going out in like really crappy weather. It's super cold. And you're like, nah, we got to stay longer. I think the birds are going to fly. Right. As opposed right. to like, oh, I'm cold. Let's go to breakfast. Right. That's the type of stuff you end up building those relationships around. Uh, and it's funny, you continue to find those people. I have a buddy, John, now, and we met him. Um, Jacob and I met up in Michigan. We have these like outdoor management areas that the DNR puts on. Okay. And they're a mix of like flooded agriculture fields and swamps. And they allow okay. it open to the public. And we call it bingo hunting because you go the morning of or the afternoon of and they do a drawing and they pick numbers. And it's based on your what party showed up when. Like, it's like, okay. you, you know, there's a period of time you sign in for a half an hour and then they pick a number and then that's the order in which you get to pick your spot. Right. Got it. So we started hunting that type of stuff pretty early on in Michigan once we learned about them uh, and go into those types of things. And then we were at one, they do an open house every year um, for all the different zones. And so 
I met Jacob at the open house. It's like an hour and a half away from us. We walk in, I'm complaining about traffic and work. We're just standing <laughs> next to this guy. And he looks at us, he goes, you guys work at GM? We're like, yeah. He's like, I just started there. We're like, <laughs> nice to meet you, right? Because if you're meeting the guy that's coming to the open house for duck hunting, he's probably kind of de- dedicated, right? right? Right. So we exchanged information with him then. I called him like later in the season. I was like, hey, I'm going up duck hunting. You want to join me? He's like, yeah. And then he turned into one of our ride and die buddies as well. So awesome. Same type of thing. So it's always kind of nice too, as you start building those friends too, because sometimes, you know, you can't always have your buddy going on everything. Right. So it's kind of nice right. to have a couple buddies mm-hmm. that you've gotten really close to that, you know, you can call and they're just always in for it. So. Absolutely. Having a couple of guys that take part, like they share the scouting, they do stuff like that. And it's the guys that you trust, like, you know, like, you bring them to a good spot. They're going to bring you to a good spot. You don't have to worry about that spot getting burned. Like that's where it's hard to find. Like I've got plenty of acquaintances I could hunt with that. I would only mm-hmm. hunt like, yeah, this is a super public area. Like anybody can find this, but it's those spots that I find that are like those true little gems. That's when you really know who like you trust in duck hunting. Yeah. The other one that's an interesting one is uh, learning to call with a group of people. Right. Sure. Like growing up a lot, um, my dad did a lot of the calling. Right. And I just kind of I played with a duck call, but I was always nervous about calling, like especially when you're a new hunter. A lot of times you can be pretty nervous, not sure if you're good at it, like that type of stuff. Um, But then, you know, obviously going hunting on your own, you just got to kind of do it. You don't really have a choice anymore. You start hunting in a group and sometimes there's always like the main caller. Sometimes like it, it varies a little bit. And it's kind of funny as you work through a dynamic of really close hunting buddies, how you guys kind of each pick up your role. And you know, they're hunting cadence, like their call cadences, you know what they're going to do when, and you kind of start working with each other. You start figuring out how to make it sound like a cohesive flock of birds. You pay attention to like what they're doing when and what you've done to make sure the birds react to it properly. And you just kind of all build off of each other. And it's, it's one of those things too. You're, I agree with you. I have a plenty of hunting acquaintances. There's only a few guys that I could probably sit down in a blind with and immediately start picking up our call sequences just to bring in birds immediately. And sound like we're actually playing with each other. Because the tough part you have is that guys will call over each other. Well, a flock doesn't typically call over each other, right? You typically have one loud bird and a couple other ones chattering or making noise. Uh, You'll hear one die off and another one will pick up as the birds move into a different area. So it's, it's kind of learning to pick up that dynamic even inside of a group of callers that helps a lot. And, you know obviously you're trying to watch the birds, but everyone's keeping their head down. So like typically somebody has eyes on the birds and it's not always the lead caller. So then the ability to transition to who the lead caller is based on who can see the birds and how they're reacting and then playing off of how they call to make it sound pretty good. I mean, that's, that's also a skill set you kind of get into. And those are guys that like, you just, you pick up, you mesh well, you learn that type of stuff. And those are the guys you want to hunt with too, because you know each other so well. Right. Absolutely. I mean, and it just creates and builds more excitement too. Like, especially when you're not like fighting with each other or if you're hunting with a buddy and he's like not a great caller and it's like, and then like he gets loud. It's like, no, that's not the right move right now. Or it's like, like, it's like, just stop. Like, just don't call. (laughs) You hand him the jerk cord. That's what we've always done. The guy that's like, what can I do? Like, here's a jerk cord. You should pull this for a while. Or I'll give them a whistle and just be like, sound like a teal. Here, just, yeah, just, just make you some go. tweets. You're fine. You're not going to hurt anything. Yep. Pick up the uh, the hand chatter call that they don't have to blow in and be like, just shake this until you're you're tired. <laughs> That's a good one. I should keep that in my bullet for you guys. Be like, here, just shake this. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, and that's a good one too. I honestly was joking about it because my a lot of my buddies now that I hunt with are all getting to the point that their their kids are getting old enough to start coming with us. Sure. Right. And you're like, well, how do I keep them entertained when we're out there? Right. That's a bigger impact because yeah, when we've been out there by ourselves, we were known to stay out there the entire time we can be out there, you know. Right. Um, where you start taking kids into the mix, you know the kids are gonna get cold, they're gonna want to go home, like that type of stuff. You gotta keep them entertained, keep them active, keep them warm. And so little things like that I'm trying to come up with so that when we get out there in those types of situations, we can be like, here, play with this chatter call for a while. Here, play with the jerk cord. Do this, do that, right? Trying to keep them entertained a little bit. And honestly, that's part of what's going to make them want to come back to it is because they're engaged with hunting. They feel like they contributed. So, right, right. I mean, that's a huge thing too. And it's, I mean, yeah, with cell phones and everything else this day, it's somewhat easy, but like you want to keep them in the moment. That's true. Like you want yeah. them to experience duck hunting and everything else. Fully agree. Um, but yeah, so you were asking a little bit prior to the show starting about, you know, feeding into how I got started into Swamp Stick, right? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of like, I want to roll into that because I found some good stuff on your Instagram page to share when we get to it now. It's kind of what I've been doing as we've been talking. Like I found some good stuff and I just picked one of these up and I'm going to order another one. Like this thing is awesome. It really is. I'm glad you like it, man. I, I love hearing that from people. It's it's such good feedback. And that's part of what fuels me to keep trying is that people tell me how much they like it, how excited they get about it, right? And how useful it's been. And then I get those stories. And then I love telling my stories about it. And we kind of play off of it because you got people that are passionate about it. Right. Um, and that really helps make me excited to make my product. Uh, and part of the reason I got into this and in doing it is one, I wanted to kind of excite my creative portions a little bit more. Um, starting a company from scratch and coming up with a product and working on manufacturing and all that stuff is, is really a different type of perspective when you go to, uh, from your like everyday job to coming up with something like this, if it's not normally what you do, like I mentioned, I'm an engineer. So normally I'm doing root cause issue analysis, stuff like that. It gets mundane. It gets repetitive. It's not really scratching the creative portion of my brain. Um, and so coming up with a company scratches that right starting to figure out how to like grow a business and source my own materials and you know it's it starts scratching a lot of different areas and then now i'm working on like you know i got to stay up on social media i've got to come up with cat ad campaigns i've got to figure out how to make it to these events right and these are all new creative areas that's really helping me grow and learn a lot as i've been getting into this type of stuff um but how swamps to kind of created in the first place was uh like I mentioned, Jacob and I, we uh, we started going to these management areas in Michigan and they're flooded ag fields. And okay. so you get out there and, and a lot of them are flooded with corn, which is really awesome. Like they'll grow corn and then they'll put strips of buckwheat in there and stuff and then they flood it and then the birds want to be there. Right. Makes sure, sense. Sure. And it's super awesome that they make that accessible to the public because normally that's only something I've ever seen on TV until that point. Right. I don't know um, of anything like that in Wisconsin on public. Like, yeah, like that. That's yeah. Cool. Like, you gotta, that makes you me want to make a trip money. over to Michigan just to just to hunt it once. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a really crazy experience to be able to do that. But one of the things we learned pretty quickly when we started getting out there was, uh, what do you do with your stuff, right? Sure. You put a boat in the middle of a flooded cornfield. It looks like a boat in the middle of a flooded cornfield, right? Right. So most guys, what you end up doing is you get a zone, right, which is typically a big strip of corn. Um, then there's a cut, which is like a cut through the corn and then another strip. And there's another section of hunters on that next strip. And so what we'll do is we'll drive the boat down. Uh, if you have a boat, you can walk into most of these spots too, where you walk in there 
you put out your decoys. If you have a boat, you stash it on the end of the row sure. and walk back and just stand in corn, right? With water all around you. And it's got to be like what, like the part that really intrigues me is the ground's got to be pretty nice to walk on, actually. Like, because it's an egg field. Like, I wouldn't think it's like knee deep muck. It's not knee deep muck, but it's uh, a lot of it's like pretty. When you put water in an ag field, it gets a little slick. Like you okay. get some like clay spots that you slide on. Like you, you definitely got to make sure you're walking like down the row, like in between the rows of corn type of idea. Like you got to find those strips. Got it. Got it. Because if you're walking on like the soft mound, you slip a lot, you trip. And you have to be careful too, because they cut um, ditches in there so they can flood it easier. Sure. So you're walking and next thing you know, they're like, they have like signs around like no walk zones, right? Okay. And they typically have them listed at like the field office, not necessarily always out there because the signs go away over time. So you got to be careful because all of a sudden you step in a spot and you go from knee deep water to chest deep water in one step. <laughs> right. And so, and of course, as you do it, you're sliding down like a slick, like clay edge. Now you're, you hit now the bottom you're, now and then the you slide your way up the other side of it. Right. So you're like, <laughs> you're trying to do that reaction last minute. And then it's kind of cool because like, as the season goes on, they keep raising the water level in these ag fields because they want the birds to keep coming in. So they raise the water levels to bring more birds in. Um, so it's kind of cool, but it's funny because at the beginning of the season, you maybe are hunting ankle deep water. By the end of the season, it may be waist deep. So you step in that drainage ditch at waist deep water, you're, you're probably getting a little wet. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, so it starts turning into those types of things. And so we get out there, we're hunting, you know, we're all prepped, we're ready to go. We're standing in waders, you know, about, you know, probably like thigh deep water, waiting for the birds. And I'm like, had a couple cups of coffee. I'm like, I got to pee. And I look at Jacob. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to do with my gun. Like I got my gun. I'm holding it. Right. I've got right. my coat on. I'm like, I got to take my coat off. Right. And there's nothing more like demeaning. You're like, can you hold my gun for me while I go pee? <laughs> right. <laughs> So you kind of do stuff like that. So we, we were like, all right, well, that's not going to work, right? Let's come up with other ideas. We were talking with some other guys and they were like, hey, a jet sled's the way to go. So we go and buy a couple of jet sleds. We're like, this is it, right? They're just like a plastic sled. Uh, Beaver Tail makes one similar to it, right? Um, I think jet sled's technically a brand. Um, but anyway, so they're the little sleds. They can float in water so you can put your bag and stuff in there. We're like, this is perfect. We take those out there. And I have a dog at the time, right? And I still have a dog now, but you sure. know, I had a dog at that point. So I carry like a, a stand out there for her that I put in the ground so she could be up out of the water while we're hunting. Of course. Get a couple ducks. We're like, spot on, man. We nailed it now. We got a sled. Our stuff's dry. We got a dog getting our, or they are birds for us. This is the life, right? And then she comes back with the birds. I take them from her. She goes and hops in the sled thinking it was her stand and sinks it. So we're like, oh man, such a good idea until that happens, right? Right, right. So we're like, we got to come up with something new. Like, what else can we do, right? So we're like, there's got to be something else out there. So we're searching, we're looking for stuff, and we just we're like, we've seen like tripods or stands. Like, we got to find something that can do that. So we're like, all right, well, let's come up with an idea of something that we can make that's kind of like a, a pole, like a walking stick, right? Let's take a walking stick that I can shove in the mud. That's a great idea, right? So we go out there. We I walked out. I think the first one we did was a broomstick. Shoved the broomstick in the mud. Stood up. I'm like, cool. Stuck my coat on it. It fell over. All right. Broomstick's not going to work. We need something better than this, right? Right. So then this turned into you've got two engineers that are now thinking of creative solutions on how to stand something out in the water that they can put stuff on. Because let's be honest, the original swamp stick is nothing more than a glorified coat rack. 
Sure. Right. That's, that's essentially what it is. When people ask me like, what's a swamp stick? I'm like, well, it started as a kind of like a coat rack. Um, it's just a portable one made for kind of being used in thick, wet areas. Right. And so we kind of evolved off of that. We started to come up with ways to like stick the swamp sticks into the mud off of broomsticks that got screwed in together. But then, as I mentioned before, um, they raise the water levels as the season goes on. So we get out there and I would hang my gun on it. And at the beginning of the season, the butt of the gun's touching. By the end of the season, I'm getting close to where the action is. I'm like, I really don't want water in my chamber in duck season when it's cold and close to freezing, right? That's just a recipe for disaster. So then we're like, all right, well, maybe if we made something that could like extend. I was like, all right, well, that's a good idea. Let's think of another idea. So we start coming up with ideas of how we can come up with like an extension pole type of concept. And so that's kind of the, the swamp stick evolved from there. So we then moved it into an extension pole that you can use. And the whole time we're doing it, we're trying to come up with like, well, how else can we use it? What else can we do? And at one point I made one and I joke, it looked like a Christmas tree. It had so many attachments hanging off of it. Cause I'm like, I want a cup holder. I want a gun rest. I want an ammo pouch. I want, right. And I'm looking sure. at this thing and we take it out there. And it just got caught in like every piece of netting I had. It got caught in like any type of strap that stuck out. And I'm like, all right, it got a little excessive. I went a little overboard. So we dialed it back down. We're like, all right, let's think about this. One of the engineering principles you get taught uh, in engineering school is keep it simple, stupid. Right. So we're like, all right, let's take it back. We got to keep it simple here. We stripped it back down. We went to just a two hook design and an extension pool. We're like, that's the key to what we want here. Right. That's the bare minimum to go with. That keeps it simple and sleek. Um, and so that's ultimately what we came up with. And we decided, hey, we love these things. We started talking with other guys and everyone's like, yeah, I make my own. Yeah, I make my own, right? I right. make mine out of PVC. I make it out of conduit. We're like, yeah, I get it, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist. We're like, well, everyone's making their own. There's a market for this, right? People are looking for something. We just don't know it yet. So Jake and I were like, you know what? Let's let's start a company. Let's make this happen, right? We're at a point in our life. We might as well try. Right. And so uh, in 2018, we started Swamp Stick and we started with a, a kind of a twist lock telescoping pool, all out of aluminum with a steel end on it that had just two hooks on it. And, uh, and we started making them ourselves in our garage. And actually, it was in his garage at his place and just kind of building off of it from there and just trying to stick with a very simple design, very close to that type of stuff. And then we took it to a couple of the waterfowl festivals that were in Michigan and said, hey, check out our product. What do you guys think? Right. You get a lot of the oh yeah, you know, I make something similar to this. So like, cool, right. well, we're trying to, to build something. We're trying to make this too. And a lot of guys would see it right away and be like, that's perfect. How many times have I been out in one of these management areas in the flooded corn and I have nothing where to put anything, right? I can't do right. anything with my stuff. So we kind of spun off of that. And then the one year we were out there, it was either, I think it was 2019. Uh, one of the guys walked up to us and was like, this is cool. He's like, but I don't need to hang my gun on anything. I have my jet sled. I was like, well, my dog sunk mine, right? That's why right. we made this. Right. He's like, well, I don't have a dog, so I don't have a problem. He's like, but what I do have a problem with is my mojo pole. He's like, you put an end on there that my mojo could fit on? He's like, then you have an idea for me. And I looked at Jacob and I was like, that's a good idea. Like, he's got a point, right? The mojo right. poles are, are fixed lengths. And they come with, like, sections you can add on. But they're not really something you can adjust on the fly. The, and right? that, and they're hard. I mean, like I've had mojos, I've got lucky duck. Now the extensions are a pain. Like they're small little buttons. They're mm-hmm. 
you're taking your gloves off when it's zero degrees outside to try to manipulate this. I know guys that just have multiple ones in different fixed lengths and they just bring a handful in their boat because it's too much monkeying around when everything's covered in ice to try to take this stuff apart. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I completely agree with you. And so like initially that was our idea too. We're like, all right, well, let's make one that works for Mojo. And I was like, well, screw this. I Mojo. So I assume most people on here are duck hunters. And if you're not, every spinning wing decoy brand and that's what we're referencing when we say mojo um mojo Talk is a about brand some amazing mojo. branding right yeah like everybody right. i mean it's not a spinning wing decoy unless you're in the industry like everybody else will be like oh oh i forgot my mojo it might be a lucky dog it might be a higden like it doesn't matter it's like it's right like the branding from them was phenomenal yeah yeah they did a great job with it honestly you're right because we do we refer to and it's a simple name it's easy to say right i think right. that's why it caught on so well um, and so, yeah, it was, it's a mojo, right? That's ultimately what we call them. And so, um, so anyway, it's a spinning wing decoy. It looks like it's kind of flying the wings spin in a circle, giving like a flutter motion. And so it, it makes it seem like there's a duck landing. So that's kind of what attracts some of the birds. That's why they're, they're used. And, uh, and so initially Jacob and I were like, all right, well, we can make one that works for mojo, but like all of the brands make a very slightly unique end that you have to buy their specific product smart on their part i'm not don't get me wrong i'm not dissing those guys because that's a right. clever way to ensure you have repeat customers is by selling them things unique to them only uh but for somebody like me i'm like well screw this i can figure out a way around it so i start coming up with different idea ends and, and working out some stuff and the initial ends we came up with actually were rounds but they were the right diameter that they could fit both the lucky duck and the mojo ends because lucky ducks are round mojos are square and we were like, perfect. And then Mojo went around and, and came out with the Elite Series and they changed the end design. And I'm like, you guys are killing me here, right? Like, I just laughed. It was like, no sooner did it happen. Like, it was within like, you know, one year, all of a sudden, our product doesn't really work with anything new now. So it's like, I got to go back and revamp and come up with a new design. And then um, that started working right. And then AVNX now just came out with a brand, right? Their Power Flight. And so then we're like, well, crap. Now I've got to make a Power Flight one that works well luckily i got lucky and the power flight slightly smaller than the mojo square that it still works in the same item right sure. but give it time and they're probably going to change it a little um uh, but come the up idea the that i was going with right probably you're right <laughs> come up with something else they'll see this podcast and they'll be like you know what we need to do we need right. to make it a rectangle <laughs> it's a rhombus now <laughs> um but yeah, so it's it's one of those things that we were like, all right, well, let's make it universal, right? I don't want to get stuck with a specific brand. I really want something that's going to work for now and every brand we've had up until now. And so that was kind of the concept we tried to, to build off. Now, I can't guarantee it's going to work with every motion wing decoy out there. My goal is to make it work with most of them. So we kind of focused on the major brands, did a bunch of product testing, kept making sure it would fit in each of them. Um, and just kind of coming up with those types of ideas and making sure it works as new decoys come out. We just have to purchase the latest one and give it a try. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how that built off of it. And then COVID happened. It kind of screwed us getting that out to market right away um, with some of the stuff. But then uh, we kind of built off of that. Now, the original Swamp Stick design was a twist lock. Um, so you would kind of like twist the two ends together and it would, it would hold off a tension. Uh, it had like a friction lock in it that way. Uh, and what we ended up finding through testing with it and through customers, because honestly, customer feedback, I, I, you know, as a small company, there's only so much testing I can do. Right. Right. And so I 
unfortunately have to use some of my customers to, to tell me how they use it and where they run into problems. And one of the issues, feedbacks we were getting was it's great in the, the warm weather, but you hit like November, December, January, these things freeze up on you. And I remember standing out there one time and I, I seriously was spinning this thing probably like a good 20 minutes trying to get it to catch. And I'm like, oh crap, I've got a problem, right? Sure. So we were like, all right, we got to revamp again then. We've got to go with a design that's lever locked. And when we, we revamped it, initially the twist lock design went underwater, right? Like the, the right. part that was on top went under a bit more. Uh, so it kind of made it tough because you were touching a wet part. So I was like, all right, well, when we revamp this, I want to try and keep my hands dry. And I want something that's going to be able to be not only to lock in all conditions, but be adjustable when you're out in the field. So what we came up with was a lever lock design. And so this lever lock design kind of can press in, it, it flips inward. And underneath it, there's actually like a little thumb screw. And you can tighten the thumb screw as the season goes on, because obviously your materials are going to shrink slightly as it gets cold out. So that's kind of where that evolved into from there was we went from this other part, you know, being able to have the twist lock and going forward. The other part that happened around that same time is uh, Jacob stepped out of the business. So um, he just, he had, he was starting a family, right? He's sure, got two right. kids now and everything else. I don't, don't disagree with what he had to do one bit, right? He's right. got to balance working full time, a family and running a small business. Well, unfortunately, one of those things is going to break. And so he, he, you know, he and I talked about it. He's like, listen, man, he finished out the season in 2019 with me. Went into COVID in 2020. was like, listen, dude, I got to, I, I can't dedicate the time to this like I used to. Sure. So he kind of stepped back. I took it on full time at that point. Um, and so from there, it's been kind of good and bad, right? It's tough losing a business partner right. to this type of stuff. You know, we're still good friends. We still go hunting all the time. I still play ideas off of him. He's still, you know, he's, I still give him my test products as I come out with them. Like here, can you break this? Right. Sure, can you sure. play with this for a while? Um, and it turns into those types of things, but you know, I also fully get needing to balance your work and your life and, and still enjoying what you do. Cause the problem you run into, and one thing that I, you get scared of is, uh, is this becoming something that makes you start to hate hunting or to dread hunting, right? Right. You burn yourself out and that's something I don't want to do. And actually you know, these festivals that I was mentioning earlier and where I met you are tough because they one right after another, after another, and it's constant grind and it's constant advertising and it's hard. Um, but I love hearing people's feedback. Like you reaching out, you're like, dude, this thing's pretty awesome, right? We saw a ton of people with them. I got to get my hands on one. Even better. You want to try and come and talk about it on a podcast, right? right exactly. I used it, it once and I'm like, yeah, we got to talk about this because it solves all the, it solves all the, all the BS. It does like yeah. middle of the night working with headlamps and everything else, trying to set your, trying to set your decoys up. How long does my extension need to be? Like, well, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's mucky. Like I go yeah. on my way out here with a mud motor. I don't know. How, I'm not getting out to stand in it. I'll tell you that much right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I don't know. Do I need two extensions? Do I need three? I don't know how long I got to make this. And and like the end on yours, and I know you haven't really touched base on that yet, and I don't want to steal that thunder, but it's not just a little tiny spade or a pole going into the ground that can easily tip over. It's got this big, like, it reminds me of like a medieval cross almost, so like, like an old medieval arrow. <laughs> like it's this yeah. big, like, spike. And when I say it's big, it's big, but it's not heavy. Like, and it's right. not like, you know, like, 
like it's not dangerous where like you have to worry about it puncturing your waders or making a hole in the boat or anything like that but it's this it's a good sized piece of metal on that aluminum pole and it doesn't fall over like it provides yeah. enough resistance in that mud to hold that up even in a windy day because the one day we were out with it and teal was pretty windy with the bit with it spinning it didn't try to tip over at all. Like I said it at kind of an awkward angle. Cause you know, that sometimes happens and you just yeah. roll with it yeah. I, again. It was muddy. I wasn't walking back out there and I'm like, it never moved. Like it never continued to fall over, which I guarantee you with, my, with like a standard factory spike at some point I'd have been going out there to fix it. Yep. Yeah. And that's a good point you bring up on it. You're right. That, that spade and we put on there, it has four big fins and I'm at these events all the time. And the first thing I hear is, what's with the spear right because that's what it looks like it honestly looks like a spear it looks like you should be ready to launch this thing at a bear or some other huge animal there right a whole other marketing opportunity for the guys down in texas that have to worry about <laughs> wild hogs they have a backup spear yep so we always joke about it. i was like you're right it does it looks just like one i was like but unfortunately it's made for spear in the ground not for spear in an animal Right. And, and that you brought up a big point about it. It's light. And that's the reason it doesn't want to work as a spear because it's under two pounds. Um, so the poles can extend, like I had mentioned. And I always say, people laugh at me because I say three and a half to six and a half feet. And then I, and they're like, well, show me. And I, I stand it up and they're looking at it and they're looking up. They're like, that's bigger than six and a half feet. And I go, well, I don't count the part you shove on the ground because to me, that's not usable length. So I say three and a half to six and a half feet of usable length. Right. Right trying to get around that type of stuff so it has about like a the spade end on it's right around 14 inches long so i kind of discount that whole 14 inches because i'm assuming you've shoved that in the mud right, right to some extent right. um whether you've gotten it all the way down or some of the way down it really depends on what type of soil you're dealing with uh i've been in situations where i have buried that full three and a half feet down into the muck right because people are like well why don't you make it shorter it's like well if i made it shorter then the guys that get stuck with the stuff like that where you have just the collar of this thing sticking out of the mud and you still want to get it up higher. And those guys can't use it in that situation. So it kind of turns into that thing. So yeah, you're right. It does. It, it's got the spade end on it, a long aluminum shaft. And then uh, there's a couple versions. There's a version that has hooks on it, right? Which was the original swamp stick. That's what I joke is my coat hanger. Right. Uh, it was meant for hanging your bag, hanging your gun, you know, being able to hang just about anything. I actually built a blind off of it. I run some camo netting across it. We'll yep. share that picture right away. That's perfect. Um, Actually, for the guys that's my that are on video, like you, for the guys that are only listening to this, like you can jump on his website, swamp-stick.com. Instagram is the swamp stick. We will take all of this links in the bio, everything else like normal. You guys are used to that. But for the guys that can see this, like we can start talking to it and showing some pictures here. Yeah. So this is actually the, the background on the Facebook site as well, right? So Swamp Stick on Facebook. And okay. so what you're seeing here is this is John pulling a beaver tail cart with us, right? The, one of the sleds, the jet sled. We're putting out decoys and he just slams his Swamp Stick into the ground, hangs his net on it, and he can go around screwing around with his decoys, right? He's not stuck using his hands. He's not stuck, you know, trying to hold off everything. He can just kind of set it and let it sit and kind of work around with what he's doing. Um, folks have asked me as well, can it hold a boat, right? Is it, uh, is it like a boat anchor? It's not a boat anchor. If you're trying to use it under the concept of like, I'm going to hunt out of my boat for the next six hours and I want it to hold me still. That's not what it was designed for, but it does hold a boat when we're loading decoys and stuff, just the same way as that jet sleds in right there. 
all the time we're out there with like a 14 footer. I hunt on a, like a 16 foot canoe, like a flat back canoe that I run a five horse on. Sure. And, um, I just slam a swamp stick down on the ground, tie the boat to it. And I just start unloading decoys and doing whatever I got to do. And I don't really think about it because it just works as that instant anchor for what I'm messing with at that time that I can still walk around. And you can see in this field, this is actually, um, one of those ag fields I was telling you about it's, right. it's flooded corn. And then in front of John's millet, which is, uh, which is the green that you're seeing there. But yeah, you can see that swamp stick. He just hammered it down on the ground. You can see the two hooks on it. This is actually one of our uh, our first designs we started selling um, before we switched over to the lever lock design. This one was the twist lock. But yeah, so that was kind of the, the gist of where we started with it. Uh, from there, we came up with an idea of them of putting the Mojos or the, the Lucky Ducks or the Avian X off of them. And so for that one, what we ended up doing is coming up with this design where you can hook up that pole and telescope it up and down uh, and work off of that. And so we made that universal end for it. It fit any of them and you stick it out there. You can raise your decoy way up in the air now, right? You can get it up six and a half feet. Yeah. This is the video off my, the website. So for those right. that are looking for it, right? Yeah. This is on Instagram. It's also on the website. If you go and check on one of the products, I think this one's actually me doing uh, using it to pick up decoys. It is, but it showed that new, it shows the lever lock really well. Yeah. That new lever lock. It design. does. So yeah, you go out, you can throw your decoys out, right? I can adjust it. I got my butt of my gun up out of the water once I figured out where it needed to be. And then I just go around picking up the decoys. It's something I don't really have to worry about. The nice part I like there is I do this a lot. This is actually, I, I laugh at it because I'm like, I struggle with how I make videos. And I'm like, well, how am I going to use it? I'll just film myself using it. This is exactly what I do. And then I went up, I snapped my decoys on there because I have a, a decoy in the back. It's a, a wonder duck that kicks water up, right? Right. And so I had to go back and pick it up. And so it was just easy. You're able to throw your gun up there real quick. Your gun's close by. It's dry. Your hands are free to pick up your decoys. And then you can just use the stick. And then here you can see I drop the, the levers down. I grab it out of the water and I move on. And you can use it right. as that walking stick, like you said, so you don't accidentally hit one of them drainage ditches on the way back and then everything's wet. Yep. So this one's actually, I was in Saginaw Bay on this one. So I'm out in the Great Lakes. And right. uh and it's all like a sand bottom in there, which was kind of cool. Sure. So, yeah. And this one is actually, if you look at it, this is our combo pole that we sell. This is what I call the Swamp Light Motion. And it's actually a combination of the original Swamp Stick and the Marsh Motion, which is our decoy attachment pole. And so if you'll notice whenever it goes in or when I take the stuff off of it, there's like a larger end on it. So you could use it one day in this type of situation. I was picking up decoys. You could use it to pick up decoys and hang your gun and do that type of stuff on. But let's say, for instance, I don't need something to hold my gun while I'm hunting. I can actually put my mojo on top of it and use it for a mojo pool or a lucky duck pool instead. We can show So as it comes down, I've yeah. Got, so it's, it's kind of cool because it, well. it allows you to move one day to the next day on how you want to do some stuff. Yeah, here you go. This is uh, one of the other ones that I was using. This was me using the uh, the twist lock with a lucky duck. And so I went in, I snapped it out, raised it up, locked it in place of where I wanted it to be and just moved on. It shows that end really well and how easy it is, that how, how easy the motion decoys just go into there. And that lever lock that was in the last video, which is on your new pole, works extremely yeah. well. Just extremely yeah. well. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I like that it's able to be adjusted really quick on the fly, right? That's a big part of what makes it nice. But yeah, so it's it's just a lot of that type of stuff. And it's, it's 
you know, being out there using it, getting feedback from people. I do hear what people say when they, they provide feedback. You know, I don't want um, folks to think that I don't listen to them or I don't hear their input because sometimes they'll bring something up and I love it. I honestly do like talking shop with people. They'll bring it up and they'll be like, you know what you should do? They're like, you should make a gun rest so that it's aiming into my decoys, right? Like I hear that one a lot. And I'm like, you're right. And I tried it for a while. I kind of came up with some different ideas. I built some prototypes. I did some different things. And what ended up happening is for myself, I didn't feel safe that it was not going to tip over with your gun on it. I didn't feel safe that, you know, somebody might be out there. And I, part of what made me think about it is I grew up with a lot of gun safety, right? My dad was pretty adamant that the safety doesn't go off until you're about ready to shoot. As you hunt with other people, some people turn their safety off at the beginning of a hunt and don't turn it back on until they're done. Right. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, shoot, all I need is one of these idiots that, you know, does something dumb. And maybe you're not an idiot. Right? I, I say idiots because it's easy to, to make somebody that does something poor a negative situation. Right. But let's say somebody goes and makes a mistake. They right. put their they gun come, on there. They, come, they come forget. Complacent. They turn it to exactly. the safety on. Right. You, you forgot, or you thought you turned it on, maybe you're wearing gloves. I don't know. Right. There's a lot of situations about it, but let's assume you put your gun up there. Safety's off. Right. Now your gun falls over and it discharges. Now we've got a bigger safety concern. Right. Right. And if your gun is not aiming in a safe direction, like up, I've now got a gun discharging in a direction there. There may be hunters. There may be somebody in the decoys picking them up at the time when this happens. right? Right. And it could fall over and nobody could be around. It's not like somebody like knocked it over or anything. You could have put your gun on there, went to adjust your decoys, your gun fell over, it discharges and it hits you while you're in your own decoys, right? That's right. A, a real situation that could happen. And so for me, I start playing those out and I start thinking about it. And I'm like, I just don't feel comfortable with this, right? So, you know, I it's not that I don't want to disregard people when they say, hey, you should do this. I agree with you. I just personally put always put like a little bit of my own liability on my product. And I would feel so bad hearing, Hey, my dad passed away because the gun fell over and it hit him. Right. Or something like that. Like that would make me feel so horrible. Right. So I just kind of weighed it out and I was like, you know, if I can't keep the gun in a safe direction, I really don't want to put it in this situation. Um, There are products out there for folks that want those that, will hold your gun in like a, a rest type of position. You can adjust it to different angles, but they're also a lot beefier, right? right. They're typically right. made out of steel. They've got bigger anchor points, you know, and they're made for that type of use. So when people bring it up, I said, Hey, you can go buy one. They're out there, right? You just got to search. I think uh, there was one that was sold by a smaller company. I think Mo Marsh has them now or somebody else. I could, I couldn't be speaking wrong, but I saw it out there. It was specific towards duck hunting, right? Sure. And I recommend it. And somebody was like, well, yeah, I use that, but it's heavy. I don't like it because it's heavy. I'm like, well, I get it's why it's heavy. For safety. It's, it's safe. Yeah, right. it's, it's safe for a reason, right? If I'm if my goal is to stay lightweight, then I really don't want to flirt with that too much because I'm scared I could expose somebody to something and have them get injured out of it. Right, right. Um, the, the other one I get asked is like, so right now we've kind of stuck with kind of a standard size in the swamp stick, right? Three and a half to six and a half feet. And people are like, well, you know, hunting the Great Lakes region, they're like, I want it longer, right? Sometimes you get out to a spot and it's deeper than that. Um, and that's great, right? I, I fully get it 
from those types of perspectives. The parts that start making me nervous about that is, uh, you know, you're sticking a $100, $200, $300 motion wing decoy on the end of this thing. I'm going to feel really bad if this thing falls over with your decoy on it and breaks it, damages it, loses it, right? Right. That starts making me a bit more nervous. And what I noticed is when I started getting out of that range where, you know, it's something you're not comfortable standing in, it's something I'm typically not super comfortable putting my product in. Sure. Um, and we talked about how light it is. It's aluminum, right? And right. so um, some people don't realize this, but like if you watch uh, the difference between like why not only the price of it, but like aluminum versus steel, you can get a lot more flex in aluminum, right? So I've done it where I've stood my lucky duck up at full extension on a super windy day. And I just sat there and watched it, right? I buried the end in the ground as much as I could. And I just sat there and watched what the decoy did. And what I started noticing is off of heavy wind and with those wings spinning, it starts to vibrate, right? Back and sure. forth. And it may not look like much at first, but over time, like that energy transfers somewhere and it transfers down in that end in the ground. Right. And so you have that risk of over time, it starts to lean a little bit, right? Maybe not right away, but over the course of four, six hours, you know, it starts to teeter. And so when I started getting anything over the, that type of like six and a half feet of usable bull, you know, I started seeing them like tip like that faster. That sure. energy transfer started more. I could see the pull flex way more. Right. Right. And so I start getting nervous because, you know, again, I don't want somebody's decoy to get damaged. I want to make sure when I'm releasing my product that it's safe, that it's it's something I've tested a bunch and that it's good. Um, now, if you were burying that, like like I know you, were, you and I were talking earlier, some of the muck that we deal with out there, like knee deep muck, you bury one of those poles and knee deep muck. Yeah, you could probably stick it up way taller than that and it'd hold fine. Right, right. But, but it's when you're hunting those sand, when you're hunting wet sand, when you're hitting a sandbar and you exactly. get half that spike in there, and you're like, but you're in eight foot of water and you want 12 foot of pole, that changes everything because you don't get the same penetration, you don't get that same holding power that yep. you would have in that like waist deep muck that just is miserable to try to wade in. <laughs> yep, you're absolutely correct, right? And that's exactly what it is. Like it's not that you can't do it, and it's not that there's people that out there that don't do it, because there are, right? Sure. It's just, it starts becoming a variable that it puts me in a danger zone that I really don't want to have to have somebody's product get damaged. Right. And, and honestly, like I'm the type of guy that if you called me and were like, Hey, it broke my mojo. I'm going to honestly feel horrible about it and be like, well, what can I do to make it right? What can I do to help you out here? Right. Um, and so it turns into one of those types of things as well. So I kind of like always look at it under so many perspectives and, uh, and want to make sure that I'm sending a product out there that I feel tested, that I feel comfortable with, that I feel can can do it. Um, not to say that I may not come out with a longer pull in the future. I very well may. But what I'll probably end up doing is either probably go to like a steel then, something that's going to be heavier that's not going to flex as much. Um, or I may end up going with something like a larger gauge aluminum, right? Something right. thicker. That would take out a lot of that vibration as well. So it's something that I may grow into. But at the moment, I just, when I played around with it enough, based on where I'm at and where the company's at, I just don't have the bandwidth for it, right? Um, over the past year, a big part of what came out of Swampstick, though, has been the accessories, right? Sure. And, uh, and I laugh, because I, I joked with you earlier, I made one that looked like a Christmas tree. And it had <laughs> pieces of stuff sticking out everywhere. Well, I stripped it back. We kept it simple. And then I was like, all right, well, now that I've got a stable product that I feel comfortable selling, that I've determined there's a market for, 
let's start adding these features back, but let's make them removable for the customer. All right. So right. I started making things like um, like cup holder attachments that go out there. I've started making things like light attachments. Um, I started coming out with like uh, cell phone holders, um, you know, a, a rod, a fishing rod holder and some other stuff because so the, the main focus of Swamp Six starting is waterfowl hunting because that's where I spent most of my time. That's where I had a lot of passion around it at the time. Um, but I'm starting to try to expand it as well to other areas. So before sure. I go into that, I'll, I'll finish up the concept of some of the accessories. The other thing I get asked a lot is, oh, do you design all of these accessories yourself? And the answer is no, I don't actually. Um, the thing that I design is the Swamp Stick. What I do is I work to find either other products that are out there or products similar to what I like. And then I contact those suppliers and I work with them to come up with a product that works for my application. So a lot of the folks will be like, well, this looks like, you know, my, like the light that just came out this year. They're like, this looks like my umbrella light. I'm like, that's cause it is an umbrella light, right? Sure, I, sure. I called the companies that make the umbrella lights. I found one that worked for what I wanted. And I worked with them to make sure that I could get it at a price that kept it competitive. Um, or like the same thing with like the cup holders. A lot of them are are used for either bicycles, motorcycles, those types of things, strollers. Right. I mean, right. I find products that have like a tubular shape like mine, find accessories associated with them and then work with those suppliers directly to either bring costs down to make it competitive or uh, to find something that I, I, you know, I'm good with. But I typically, what I always tell people is the accessories I have on there for resale are accessories that I personally like a lot. And so this is one of them that you're showing here. This is the fishing rod holder that I just released this way, this year. So I've been trying to grow Swamp Stick from just a hunting product into other areas. And so right. what I came up with here is I was looking at a rod tree when we were out uh, on a boat walleye fishing. And I was like, well, that's cool. I like, you know, every once in a while, they'll all fish from shore. It'd be cool sure. if I had a rod tree I could take out there with me. And then I thought about it. I was like, wait, I do. I have a swamp stick. I can make right. this work. So I came up with an idea where I found a product, which is, as most people can see, those are those uh, attachable rod holders you can buy for your boat. Sure. I just worked to find a set of them that matched with an appropriate clamp that will work for a swamp stick. And then worked with the suppliers to try and get the cost down. So it was in a reasonable price for folks to be able to purchase them. Um, one of the other things you see in that image in there too is a couple of the cup holders. Uh, you can see I have one holding bug spray and one holding my drink at the time because I was trying to make sure I got it to a point where you know I could kind of show these versatile uses of it. Right. And so you know that one I was actually in you know I filmed that one up in um, on Lake Superior in the UP of Michigan. I was up there you know fishing and hanging out and stuff. I was like you know what I'm gonna make a beach fishing video. And I liked it. It was great. I was able to put for that upper rod, I was able to put my rod on there and I was able to extend it up and I was able to get the fishing line out of the surf. Oh, nice. Which is, if, if anyone's done any type of surf fishing before, it's challenging to do that, right? But what this allowed me to do is put my rod and the rod holder down low and then extend it up and get that line right out of the surf. I also typically have my dogs with me and they're running around, you know, goofing off on the beach. And it kept the line out away from the dogs. They weren't getting tangled in it. It kept the the line out of the surf, and it actually just made it much more comfortable for me. Sure. Makes so, sense. Yeah. So I'm just trying to come up with different ideas around these types of things that folks can use out there to, to be able to make themselves, you know, have a more comfortable time while they're doing something they enjoy and trying to come up with ideas to make it 
easier for everyone. So, oh, that's cool. so yeah. it's cool. It's cool. Like when you can expand into different areas and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at it as like, it's, it's something that I found right away in one area, but I know it applies to others. You just got to find the market for it and the, the folks that are out there. And I know they're out there and their passion is just trying to to communicate. I have something that works for them. Right. And being around like that, I mean, as those ideas come, like you can continue to like expand on what can be done there. Yeah. Yep. So one of the other areas I like to, to talk about on here, are some of the places like Swamp Six going in the future, right? People will ask me like, all right, well, you got a product out there. It's pretty solid. What next? Right. Um, and so I'm kind of looking at, you know, a, a few different directions. One's continuing to find these accessories that work for different applications. Um, another one of it is trying to meet new application needs that folks are asking for. Maybe I'm going to spend a little bit more time trying to make a swamp stick that can go up to 12, 15 feet, right? But I'm going to have to change materials around. Sure. Um, the other one that actually started coming up recently, somebody was like, why don't you just make the decoy pole a short one, right? Because actually it was a guy from California that reached out to me about it. He's like, I like it. He's like, but like sometimes we hunt stuff that's like just really shallow. We're having water drought issues out here. He's like, the water's not as tall as it used to be. And I just laugh. I'm like, well, here in Michigan, we're doing the opposite. The water's way deeper than what it used to be. Um, it's just funny how in the same country, you can have such just different polar opposites. Right. But but I heard him on that. I'm like, no, you're right. You know, I could make, let's say, a, a two-foot pole that has two extensions in it that could get you up to seven, eight feet in terms of usable length in the end. Um, so it's, it's kind of those areas I'm looking at as well as trying to hear what people are saying and what they're bringing up. Um, another one that people keep bringing up is they'd like a step application for it, like to be able to step it in the ground a little bit more solid. Sure. I've teetered with that one a lot because uh, it's hard. I'm trying to make it to a degree like user friendly and also not make it to where it's going to break on you. So I've been trying to play, and I, I have heard people, I hear them all the time on this one, and I've been playing with a lot of different concepts for step designs, because I do hear it, it's it's useful. But what I'm worried about is that I'm going to make, like, if I make an oversized step, I'm going to get that guy that buries this thing so deep in the ground, he can't get it back out. Sure. Right? And that's also a new problem, because now they're stuck with a pole that went in great, can't get it back. Right? Right. Right. So... I'm trying to kind of work on that stuff. So hopefully here in the near future, we'll be seeing a step coming out. You'll see some new lengths for swamp sticks. Uh, I'm working on a new hook design. So while I like that little U-shaped hook that's on there, um, it's not the best because most of the times I, I, I say, if you're going to hang a gun on it, hang it on there with a sling. Right. Well, well, the problem I've run into is a sling typically is almost a little flat, right? It's a little wider. So I'm coming up with a new hook design that's a little bit more linear to be able to hang like a, a you know, a strap on easier for that type of stuff to be able to hang like a, um, a book bag strap on, you know, so I'm trying to, to play around with some of those ideas and get some more context behind them and, and grow in those areas. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where we're going with. And then the other one's getting into retailers. Um, it gets pricey to ship these things. Anyone that orders one online will see that the problem I run into is, uh, is there's a handling fee because it's considered an oversized shipped item. Sure. Right. Like USPS, that's anything over 12 inches is oversized uh, in like UPS. I think it's 24 inches. So it becomes a little challenging while well, the product's only two pounds. It's super light. Right. It's long. Right? right. So I'm trying to come up with ideas of like, 
all right, well, if I can pair with mom and pop shops in areas and get these swamp sticks located to them and tell my customers that want them that, hey, yeah, you can order for me on my website, but this guy has it right there in a store. You should, you should just go pick one up, right? Sure, sure. So that's where I'm trying to grow now is, you know, I'm trying to get with folks to tell me, you know, hey, who's your favorite mom and pop for waterfowl hunting, right? Send me their contact info. I want to reach out. I want to do business with these folks. I want to make sure they stay in business. I want to make sure they're getting people coming to them because it becomes mutually you know, good for us. I can have swamp sticks in an area. I can save my customers cost and I can keep that mom and pop in business for a little while longer so that they have people coming in to buy stuff. So it's, it's kind of one of those mutually exclusive or the, those, you know, everyone wins type of situations right, is what I'm right. trying to get to in the end. Um, so yeah, so that's all part of it, you know, and I'm trying to bring, you know, more stuff together and get my price down. The other part that I'm trying to be conscious of is, uh, prices are going nuts with everything, right? What can I do to save you guys as much money as you can? Everyone only has so much money to spend on hunting stuff when it comes to a season. And whether your wife says it's this much, or you say it's this much, there's a price there, right? There is some limit in which you've crossed it one way or another. Um, and so I'm consciously aware of that. And so I am trying to do everything I can to, to keep my prices lower, to try and work, to get everyone the best deals that I can. So that way that we can keep this something that people can keep using, because honestly, I love a big part that I get passionate. I said, I love talking with people, but I really love hearing people's hunting stories. I love people using my product. I love hearing the feedback about it and how, you know, they maybe used it in an application that I never thought of. Sure. Um, And I really get energized by that type of stuff. And it really helps me get interested in making a product and keeping a product that people can love and use and, you know, recommend. If somebody recommends something, you know, that means the world to me. Because that means you like it enough to tell somebody that you care about that this is a product that they should get. And that's kind of that, like, for the people that follow me, the people that follow my show, like they know I'm a tournament fisherman and they know I only represent a handful of companies because that's like I actually truly believe in the companies. For the ones that have followed this show for for the little over a year, year almost a year and a half now, it's been on actually. Time flies. I haven't done many product reviews. I really yeah. haven't. A lot of my shows are hunters, dog trainers. We do a lot of story time. I don't have a lot of product review shows. And the product review shows I do have are with products I actually believe in. Cause I don't promote things just to promote them because for a deal or something like that, I've never once promoted a product because like, Hey, I'll give this to you, promote it. If I don't believe in the product, I'm not going to promote it at all, whether I get it for free or not. I'm not, I'm not going to do that morally. And I got, I paid full price for my swamp stick. I yep. liked it so much. I wanted you to come on the show because this product is great. The price point is really, really solid. And for you to make it a better price point, it's even like, amazing like i like there was no hesitation at the price point it is for what you actually get like like it removes all the messing around it fits in my gun locker in my boat i don't have to worry about it getting trashed it easily fits on a kayak like because you like especially because i'm like being a kayaker like a solo canoe hunter a lot of times like just sliding it smaller and not have to monkey around with all the extensions and dropping what I can't count how many PVC poles I've made that were eight foot long or six foot long that I've accidentally kicked off the side of my kayak. And mm-hmm. there it goes. Yep. Like none of that anymore. Like that, like that, like that's why, like I wanted you to come on the show. Cause it's the first product I've talked about in a while. I'm like, this like, it really makes sense. And like, it's super affordable. It's, we're not talking about a thousand dollars something. We're talking about an affordable like decoy pole or like 
hooks up like you're hunting flooded timber and like you don't like you can't put hooks in the tree and you don't want to monkey around with a strap just stick this next yeah. to it yeah i mean i've even been expanding it to the point of like um you know i don't know if i mentioned to you when you were there but i sell a uh gopro mount that has sure. a threaded insert that comes with it and you know a lot of guys like to film their hunts i love it that's great you know and i the, my biggest complaint is i hate shaky video right so right. if i can secure your camera so you get a clean video i'm happy um but one of the things I was playing with it last year is I realized it worked great when I was deer hunting to be able to put out trail cams. Now, I'm not going to put a swamp stick on public property right? because that stick and the, the camera are going to be gone the next time I come back. But if you have private property and stuff like that, like I, like I mentioned, I grew up in Pennsylvania. My uncle has property there that I hunt on and it was previously strip mine. So our hills go from like normal hills to like aggressive hills. Sure. And of course the deer want to hang on that aggressive hill because they're covered, they're safe. There's not, you know, it's very difficult for something to sneak up on them there. Um, and so for me, putting a trail cam on there, my options are put a trail cam and it faces the treetops or put a trail cam so low on the tree that, you know, you get only the deer that crosses right next to it. Right. So I was able to take a swamp stick, put it in the ground, attach a trail cam to it and actually bend the trail cam so it aimed down the hill right at the angle and then i was able to get pictures of all kinds of animals walking across that hillside and it just made it a lot easier for me to be able to get the exact shot i wanted on you know whether it's a lick stick you put out there for the deer to come up to to touch to or if you would put out like um you know maybe you were putting out like a salt lick or something you know it gives sure. you that ability to track them a little bit easier in those types of areas so it's just trying to play with it and work with it and see what other areas I can find for people to help it going on. But I, I appreciate it. I appreciate your feedback. And I really do appreciate these shows. Uh, I just want people to realize that, you know, I'm, I'm in it because I'm passionate about it. That's why I started this business. Uh, and I'd love to see it become an amazing thing. And I'd love to hear more people's feedback. And I, I consciously care. And I know everyone else does as well. So that's why it's kind of one of those things I want to reach out about. And I, I appreciate you, you being the type of person I got that right away that, doesn't just rep every product, right? You right. care and, that, and you want to inform people. Absolutely. We've already touched base on it once. Um, why don't you tell everybody the different ways they can find you? Yeah. So easiest one, if you want to order a swamp stick is our website. It's swamp-stick.com. Uh, but I'm also on Facebook at swamp stick. I am on Instagram at the swamp stick. And I am also on TikTok now um, under swamp stick. So I'm in all of those different areas, reach out. I've got links to the store in each of those areas as well. So you can always touch back off of there. Uh, and then likewise on the website, I try to put local, um, uh, partners that I work with that you can pick up a swamp stick from. So as I've been growing that this year, you know, I try to list those mom and pop shops on those locations. So you can maybe try and find a place near you and help save yourself a little bit of money. Perfect. Perfect. Sean, I really appreciate you coming on. For all the listeners, as I said before, we'll get all the links in the show descriptions, make it super easy to find it. This will be put on Facebook, Instagram, like normal. We'll have all the tags, everything, super easy to find. I think you'll be, for the duck hunters out there for sure. And then for those other guys out there that, because here's another application that you haven't probably really thought much about, but like I know a lot of guys from kayak fishing that will use a stakeout pole to like attach a GoPro to, but you get that shaky motion mm -hmm. or you're carrying around an additional stakeout pole that's seven foot long. Whereas like, that's a whole different market. You probably haven't even thought of for the guys that self film for kayak fishing that want an extendable pole like this. That's yeah. a secure mount for a GoPro. 
That's a good one. Yeah, you're right. I, I don't kayak fish. That's why it's lovely when I hear that type of stuff. Like somebody can tell me a way that I never thought of using it. And I'm happy to give it a shot. Yeah, that'd be something I'd take a peek at. Like there might be there might be something there for sure. Because I've done that before, the self-filming kayak fishing. And you get the big stakeout pole and it's either too tall and you're messing with a weird camera angle. Yeah. Or it's not tall enough and it's shaky or something like that. And you don't like, like, I didn't really think about that until like right now, but that's really could be <laughs> like, that could be pretty, pretty solid for self-filming for kayaking. Yeah, that's a good one. No, I appreciate it. I really do. Well, Sean, I appreciate you coming on to all my listeners. I appreciate you tuning in again. And until next time, keep chasing that experience. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode here on Paddle and Finn. Be sure to drop a five-star rating, a thumbs up, or smash that subscribe button on any platform you're listening in on. Be sure to check us out on Waypoint TV, waypointtv.com. Make sure you sign up for the Fantasy Kayak Fishing League at paddleandfin.com forward slash fantasy. You could support this show through Patreon, patreon.com forward slash paddleandfin. Don't forget to check out the website, paddleandfin.com. Catch us on YouTube. If you got a question, comment, or want to see a future guest on the show, be sure to email us at paddleandfin at gmail.com. Shout out to our show supporters, Yak Gadget. You can check out all the fine kayak accessories at yakgadget.com. Pelican Professional. For all your cases, coolers, and lighting needs, go to pelican.com. Rocktown Adventures. Your Midwest premier paddle sports destination. Go to rocktownadventures.com. Eastport Marina, the beautiful destination on Dale Hollow Lake. If you're looking for lodging, kayaks, kayak accessories, or anything fishing related on the beautiful Dale Hollow Lake, go to eastport.info. And Jigmasters Jigs, when in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com and fill your tackle boxes today.